We are in the midst of a sermon series that actually won't be completed until uh, the middle of February, but it is a series that starts here in Advent and moves through Epiphany, and it's called Tidings of Comfort and Joy. And that line is taken from the Christmas carol, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, that English carol about the shepherds and the invitation of the angels that comes to them that night that they're encountered on the hillside. And as they are encountered by that angel, they hear this invitation not only to experience the source of that good news, those tidings and comfort and joy, but to go and witness it and then give voice to it and share it with others. And the angels come to those shepherds on the hillside with basically a a message of comfort that God is pleased with his creation and his people. God is with you. God has come alongside you. And it's also a song not just of comfort, but it's a song of creation, if you will. It's the, the heavens erupting at the good news that the creator God made us for relationship with himself. And so the angels say, take heart, be encouraged, be confident, go, go and witness this thing that you will see if you go to Bethlehem. And today we kind of bring together those three first sermons during those Sundays of Advent, comfort, the creation, the confidence that those things inspire, and today that word covenant. Covenant is one of those key words in the Bible. It's something that we need to understand if we want to be a people of faith. It is a picture of who we are and what we do as followers of Jesus. As we encounter that word in today's text in Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, we do so in the context of what's called a servant song. There are I think four of these servant songs, and we'll be looking at a couple more of them during this series. But the servant that Isaiah is addressing at this point is actually the people of Israel themselves. They are in exile, as we have noted more than once already in this series. They're anticipating release. And this language of the servant is language that's picked up by the New Testament writers when they begin to describe the ministry of Jesus, they use the poetry of Isaiah to do it. And so listen to this text. Listen for it in three ways, because that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Listen to how Israel is the servant, the people in exile. Listen to how Jesus is the servant, the one who doesn't appear to be all that much, but is actually inextinguishable. And listen to how we also are the servant, the ones who receive the grace of God and reflect that love to the world. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. 
Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Pray with me. Lord, help us to hear what you have to tell us this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've already suggested to you more than once that I want to talk about the word covenant today and I'd want to do so because it's key to our understanding of what life in Christ is about. Because what life in Christ is about is a relationship, a mutual relationship, a mutual pledge on the part of both parties in that relationship. And it's summarized in the steadfast commitment on both sides of that relationship to make two choices. It's the choice to seek the other's best, to do all that you can to seek the other's best. And yet it's also the choice to trust that the other is seeking your best. Two very, very important things that need to be in place if there is to be a covenant relationship. It's making those choices of saying, I choose to seek your best And I choose to trust that you are seeking mine. And if you have two parties making those commitments to each other, you have something so incredibly simple and so incredibly fragile, but also something, if you persist in those choices, something so incredibly enduring and resilient that it is absolutely unbreakable. And it's why we talk about marriage as a covenant, quite frankly. It's one of the few places that we commit to acting in a divine way toward the other. Covenant can exist in all sorts of forms. It can be a kind of short-term thing that a group decides to get together and they pledge themselves to do these two things, to seek one another's best and to trust that each of those in the group are seeking their best. And it creates a bond for that group. Covenant can exist in any number of relationships, but we talk about marriage as a covenant primarily because it's this sense, if you read the marriage vows, they pledge to do that for the other, the spouse, for a lifetime. And so it's this opportunity to act in a divine way toward another. And yet it's not restricted to the covenant of marriage. It can be established in any set of relationships. It is merely, and yet very 
profoundly just that choice to say, I choose to seek your best and I choose to trust that you will seek mine. It is, as I've said, a marvelous blend of fragility and resilience. It sort of hangs by a thread, but if both parties keep making the choice, there is nothing stronger or more unbreakable than this. If parties remain in this covenant, make a daily, maybe hourly, maybe second-by-second relational decision to act on this two-part pledge, they have something incredibly strong. And Isaiah 42, 1 to 9, that I've read earlier today, is the prophet's reminder to Israel about the fragility and also the resilience that's inherent in this covenant relationship between God and God's people. In the original context, as Isaiah preaches this to this beleaguered, downtrodden, exiled people who are anticipating a return to a life that in some ways is harder than their life in exile. The servant that Isaiah is addressing is the people themselves, the people of Israel who are the servant of God. It's a reminder that the covenant with God has not been broken by the exile, that God is still seeking best and trusting them to do the same, and and therefore then calling them to respond in kind. What God is saying through the prophet is the relationship is still very much intact, so let's re-engage it. I haven't stopped seeking your best. I haven't stopped trusting you to be in relationship with me and to seek my best. And you look at the words in this text where God says, I will uphold you, I have chosen you, I delight in you, I put my spirit upon you, I am with you, I am still holding on, is God's word. And yet there's also another part of this where the prophet says, you know, right now, Israel, you're not much to look at. (laughs) You appear to have very little power. And you haven't gone in a great direction. But you are still the servant. And yet remember that you are not like other servants, that you do not need to be like other servants, other leaders, literally, of other nations. You do not need to put out the weak, to put out the fires of the weak, or to crush them and break them like they are bruised reeds. You will establish justice very differently. You do not need to lift up your voice in the strength. You will establish justice very differently. You will establish justice because you yourselves are bruised reeds that will not break. And you yourselves are dimly burning wicks that will not quench. You have what you need to establish, to give witness to this justice because you have relationship with me. And so it's as if the prophet is saying two things about that bruised reed and that dimly burning wick, that you are not that, but you also are that. (laughs) You are not the ones who are going to put out weakness and try to eradicate it through your force. 
because you yourselves are dimly burning wicks and bruised reeds. You are wounded healers and you will establish justice in a very different way and shine with God's light in a way that is unlike, much unlike what's described by Matthew in the passage that Rose read about Herod, who tried to extinguish the dimly burning wick of Jesus and failed. And so what the promise is, is you won't break. You won't have your light extinguished. But you will have the energy you need to persevere, to give witness to my justice, a reflection of my glory and love, to be light in the midst of darkness. That's what's being said here. So is it any wonder that the New Testament writers picked up these passages to describe the ministry of Jesus and to use that language in such a way that illustrated what Jesus was all about and how he did it? Because the baby in the manger and the crucified carpenter are like the bruised reed. They're like the dimly burning wick. They are gentle and weak. They're light that seems easily extinguished by the thumb and forefinger of an oppressor. Or a reed that's broken all the way because it's already bruised. But what the prophet is saying And what the New Testament writers pick up on is that line, but he will not faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth. But this notion of the servant also applies to us. It applies to us as followers of the one who is the dimly burning wick and yet also the light of the world. Those to whom God gave breath, those to whom God has called into relationship, those who reflect the light of that relationship to the rest of the world, that's who we are. And we're not much to look at either. But this covenant is about something that we are and something we do. It gives shape and substance to our lives. It's the act of returning the pledge that God makes to us. It's the act of choosing to seek God's best and to trust that God is seeking ours and to so reflect the light of this relationship in a way that we relate to the rest of creation. One of my favorite Christmas carols is the English carol in the bleak midwinter. We don't hear it that much in this country, unless you go to church, and then sometimes you hear it. But Christina Rossetti wrote the text. She was a 19th century English poet. And I'm gonna read this, and and you'll probably recognize it, especially if you have a King's College Christmas Carol album. But anyway, she writes this. The, The poem is called A Christmas Carol. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan, earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. 
Enough for him whom cherubim worshipped night and day, a breast full of milk and a manger full of hay. Enough for him whom angels fall down before, the ox and ass and camel which adore. Angels and archangels may have gathered there, cherubim and seraphim thronged in the air, but only his mother, in her maiden bliss, worshipped the beloved with a kiss. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. Give my heart. It's a beautiful depiction, I think, of that dimly burning wick of God's vulnerability in God's pursuit of us. God's vulnerable reach for us, the light that barely shines but has enough warmth to melt the ice around our hearts. And our choice is what Rossetti talks about at the end. The poem sort of, and the story begs the question of how do we respond to this extension of God's self toward us? And Rossetti says, there's nothing I can do other than give my heart. I can respond to that vulnerability and fragility with my own vulnerability and fragility. And that's what I can give. You know, so often we fall into the trap of believing that we have to do something great for God. Religion is really all about falling into that trap of giving enough, of doing the right thing, of giving the greatest amount of doing something so sacrificial that God will take notice of it. That we have to do something to kind of grab God's attention. But you know, the prophets have been telling us forever that that's not the case. And so you look at some place like the the sixth chapter of Micah, very familiar verse, and Micah does the same thing. He says, no, that's really not what it's about. He says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It's a picture simply and merely and yet profoundly of nothing more and nothing less than relationship. Returning to God what God offers us, a covenant relationship. It's about giving what we have. And knowing that that's enough, it's about giving ourselves, our hearts, about taking the hand of the one who has reached out for us in the same way that the 
the child reaches up from the manger or the crucified carpenter hangs on the cross. It's taking the hand of the one who reaches for us and so allowing the warmth of that dimly burning wick to melt the ice around our hearts and share the warmth then that invades our entire body to share the warmth of God's love with our world. Let's pray. Take us beyond that place, O God, where we say to ourselves we have nothing to give, nothing that's big enough, or that place where we do just the opposite and try to do everything in our power to get your attention. Save us from that place and help us to wake up to the truth that you have already reached out and you will not stop reaching and are inviting us merely to reach back and to seek your best as you have sought ours and to live in the amazing power of that steadfast covenant commitment. For we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.